0: Why, hello there! You are listening to the Aesthetic Vibes Podcast, and I'm your host, Amy. This is the podcast where we only put out aesthetic vibes. There are too many bad vibes in the universe, so this podcast is dedicated to turning that around and spreading all the positivity. This podcast will focus on all types of relevant and irrelevant topics. Sometimes we dive into the deep and meaningful and other times they're completely meaningless. But one thing's for sure, you will walk away with a really aesthetic vibe. And I hope I can empower you to build a really aesthetic life. Welcome to today's episode. This is the first of many true crime deep dives. Uh, This will be a little topic or a series that I will be doing um, featuring a particular case of interest and we'll be diving into some of maybe the lesser known details. So (laughs) strap in as today I unpack the story of H.H. Holmes and the House of Horrors. off this episode, uh, we're looking at the story of H.H. Holmes and the House of Horrors. Um, This dude was a completely sick fuck, combined with the fact that he was a professional scammer. Uh, I have no respect for scammers, and this guy was one. So let's, let's go back to the very beginning. So Herman Webster Mudgett was born in 1861 in New Hampshire. He was born the third child to his family, and he had four siblings in total. His father was from a farming family and and held some miscellaneous jobs, such as farmer, trader, house painter, and so on. Once Herman finished school, he worked in an array of teaching jobs. On the 4th of July, 1878, Herman marries for the first time a young lady by the name of Clara Lovering and they end up having a son um, in 1880. Eventually, Herman ends up studying medicine at the Michigan Medical School, and he graduated in 1884. While he was enrolled at this medical school, he worked in a lab with Professor William James Herdman, So it's alleged that in the early years of their marriage, Herman actually treated his wife very violently. They end up actually separating in 1884. In his time in New York, um, a rumour is originally spread that he was actually seen with a small boy who had disappeared. Um, Herman claimed that the boy actually went back to his home in Massachusetts. Herman then moves to Philadelphia where he takes up a job in a pharmacy. Um, I think Americans call them drugstores. While he was working there, a boy died after taking medicine that was purchased at the store. While there, Herman meets Benjamin Pietzel, who is a carpenter with a pretty hefty criminal past. and um, They decide to join forces and start some insurance fraud. So you can see from the past, there's uh, bits and pieces occurring around Herman's life that are questionable, Um, but they're all kind of piecemeal, if you like. Um, So after this time where he starts doing some of these insurance frauds with Benjamin, um, some of them are successful, uh, some aren't, but basically he decides, look, it's time for me to move and I'm going to go to Chicago. He decides at that point that He does need to change his name because he doesn't want any association with any of the schemes from the past or any of those unusual deaths or disappearances that have happened that he's been questioned for. So rumor has it. Um, and we'll refer to Herman now as Holmes. I think it's just a bit easier um, because the rest of the story is H.H. H. Holmes. Um, so what we started to see when he was in medical school was the beginning of some of these weird obsessions that he had. So it was stated that he actually stole cadavers, so uh, deceased bodies, from labs and then burned or disfigured them. And he would often... Rob Graves, to use these dead bodies to defraud these life insurance companies. When asked to describe him, Holmes was apparently seen as debonair, charismatic, and he had substantial charm. Um, He was able, due to this charm, to pull off many financial schemes um, and eventually get away with murder. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So in 1886, Holmes is still married to his first wife, who he has left, and he's moved to Chicago, and he decides to marry a second time. Um, Murder is her name. He ends up trying to file for divorce from Clara a few weeks after being married to murder, alleging infidelity on Clara's behalf Um, apparently it was never proven and the divorce was never finalized so um, here he is he's now got two wives Um, so with his second wife they end up having a child a young girl by the name of Lucy and she was born in 1889 Lucy eventually grows up to become a school teacher So, Holmes is with his second wife and child, and in about 1885, he gets a job working at a pharmacy. The owner of the pharmacy ends up passing away, and Holmes ends up buying the store from the shop owner's widow. Um, And then strangely, the widow goes missing and was never seen again. Um, When questioned, Holmes claims that she went to California, uh, but this could never be verified. So Holmes is running the pharmacy and there's an empty lot of land across the road from the pharmacy. So he ends up buying that empty lot of land and designing and building a three-story hotel on the land. So the hotel he named the castle. He drew up the blueprints for the hotel and construction started in 1889. It's said that Holmes hired and fired many building companies. Um, No one really had a clear view of what was being built. So people would come in and do small parts and then they'd be fired and then they'd move out. And he kept doing this repeatedly. Um, So the construction itself actually finally concluded in 1891. In order to increase traffic to his hotel, Holmes starts placing advertisements in the paper offering jobs to young women and offering the castle as a place of lodging. He also was said to place ads for himself in the paper, um, declaring himself to be a wealthy man looking for a lovely lady or a lovely wife. As a requirement of stay in the castle, all employees, guests, um, wives, fiancés, girlfriends, all needed to have life insurance policies on their entry to the castle so the rules were Holmes would pay for the policy as long as he was listed as the beneficiary most people would come to the castle then suddenly disappear women would be seen entering the castle but never exit apparently in order for Holmes to furnish his large castle he would buy items on credit and then hide them whenever the creditors came calling so there's a point in time where the insurance schemes um, and the fraud Um, are no longer sufficing and there is a point in time where Holmes actually shifts to murder Um, and we'll talk a little bit about some of his uh, murder victims, some of the very early ones and then I want to get back to describing this hotel to you to provide you some more context around how some of these murders were able to be executed. So let's start with one of Holmes's first victims. So Julia Smythe was a bookkeeper who worked at his pharmacy and she lived in the castle with her husband, Alex. Um, Apparently Holmes started an affair with Julia. Um, After hearing about the affair, her husband Alex bailed, uh, leaving Julia and their kid at the castle. Their affair continued into 1891 when Julia and her child suddenly disappeared. So one of the biggest events in this timeline was when Chicago was scheduled to host the World's Fair in 1893. So the World's Fair is a cultural and social event. It celebrates the anniversary of Columbus's discovery of America. The event goes from May to October each year and is visited from people all over the world. So Holmes saw this as a massive opportunity for his hotel to cash in on this event visitors from all around the world coming to stay at the castle. Holmes used his charm and he really lured in a lot of visitors from the fair to the hotel, um, also advertising himself to them as this single bachelor looking for marriage. Um, He soon married a young lady and convinced her to also take out a life insurance policy on herself. Um, She ended up dying and he cashed in on the policy. Sounds familiar. So, in the same year as the World Fair, we actually have uh, an actress by the name of Minnie Williams who ended up in Chicago working as Holmes' personal secretary. Um, Minnie apparently owned a lot of property in Texas. So, somehow, Holmes, with all of this charm, uh, convinces her to sign over all of her property to him. And she does. Um... Minnie's siblings, because she has a brother and a sister, they actually come to visit her. And um, on that visit, apparently he chloroformed Minnie and she died. Um, Mind you, she just signed over the property to him. He pushed Minnie's sister into an airtight bolt and she died. Uh, And as for the brother, Holmes took out a life insurance policy on him, tracked him down at a later date in Oklahoma and then killed him. So there we go. Three more, just gone. So there's apparently another mistress by the name of Emily Segrande who disappeared after she started an affair with Holmes. Um, She was apparently pregnant. Uh, He didn't want the child and allegedly they disappeared and he made that happen. Okay, so we're, we're getting this picture that there's a lot of weird stuff happening. There's a lot of people disappearing. There's a lot of insurance fraud going on. So there's a lot of sketchiness. And at this point... Um, I don't think he was predominantly being looked at as a primary suspect in any of this. Um, there's just lots of weird occurrences, these little things that are kind of popping up over this timeline, little blips on the timeline, if you like. But what I want to do now, so you know a little bit about him, people are going missing, uh, insurance fraud out the ass, um. I really want to get back to the castle because I think once I start to describe to you the castle and we start to piece some of this together, it'll make a lot more sense as to what is actually going on here. So, this is in my mind where the true insanity comes in, and this stuff is beyond nightmare worthy because anybody who is able to do half of what he's done has a fucking screw loose. So let me paint you a picture. Okay, so this, this castle, right? They've got a first floor um, with several stores and apparently he moved his pharmacy from across the road into the actual castle. So that's on the bottom floor. You've got two upper levels. One of them has Holmes's office and his apartment and then above that, roughly 100 rooms used as living quarters. So with these 100 rooms, some of them were soundproof that apparently Holmes would use, he built random trapdoors, um, installed peepholes, uh, had stairways that led nowhere, um, but I suppose the, the most prominent was these chutes that led to the basement, and we'll get back to the basement in a moment. But ideally, what would happen in this hotel is you would be up in these 100 apartments and you would open a door, thinking you were going to exit a room, and you would walk into a brick wall. Um, Sometimes you would enter into a room and smell gas. Often, doors were locked from the outside, not the inside. So once you were in and someone had locked that door, you're in there. You're you're done. You're toast. You're you're locked in. There were apparently hinged walls and false petitions. Um, And there were some rooms apparently you'd walk into and there'd be five doors and others, there would be none. (laughs) So you would enter through... A random petition and there'd be no way to exit. There were secret airless chambers that were housed under floorboards um, and there was one room in particular that was completely lined with gas fixtures um, or apparently Holmes would flip a switch and wait for the imminent death to occur and basically watch it through a peephole. So (laughs) this place is fucked up right? Um, You've got the World Fair going on in the background, him enticing people to come in, people staying in these apartments that are completely fucking bizarre. Let's talk a little bit about the basement because the basement was a chamber of horror. So he had it set up completely to dispose of bodies. He had a dissecting table a stretching rack (laughs) a crematory um he also um to make a little money on the side um outside of all the life insurance policies being claimed um he would also drop the bodies of dead people down through the chutes they'd hit the basement floor He'd dissect them, strip them of their flesh, and then he would sell the human skeletons to medical schools just to make a little bit of extra cash on the side. So in Holmes's own apartment, he had a trapdoor in the bathroom that opened to reveal a staircase that led to a windowless cube with a large chute that went to the basement. So all the doors and some steps were connected to an alarm system in his apartment. So whenever someone went down the stairs, a buzzer would sound in his room. Holmes apparently used to boast that uh, he had a lawyer that he paid that would keep him out of any trouble. So anytime somebody kind of hinted at exposing him for his scams or um, any of the missing bodies and people in his life that were um, going on, he'd always sort of say, "Well, you know I've got a lawyer uh, paid, he'll get me out of any trouble. I'm not too concerned, um, and I've got the money. so no, no, no real issues there. So the the World Fair attracted a lot of individuals into the hotel for Holmes, Um, but eventually um, the victims available were becoming lesser and lesser, and Holmes decided, look, it's time for him to move to somewhere new, and this time it was Texas, and he wanted to focus on a new scam. So his his new scam was selling stolen horses. Um, So... (laughs) that's what he planned to do. Something goes wrong with this plan. Holmes is caught and arrested for the crime. So he's in jail um, awaiting the outcome of the investigations around the stolen horses and he comes across a guy um, in jail called Hedgepeth and he decides it'd be a good idea to take out a life insurance policy on himself, fake his death, and then provide Hedgepeth with $500 in exchange for a lawyer that could help him if any problems arose. So the scam didn't work the first time. The insurance company was suspicious and didn't pay. So he gets out of jail. He tries again in Philadelphia. um, And this time it actually works. But he had Petzel. So if you remember back from the very beginning, our our mate Benjamin Petzel, he had him actually conduct the scam and to fake his own death. Um, However, during the scam, Holmes actually kills his friend Petzl and collects the money for himself. He apparently chloroformed him and then set him alight. Um, Holmes later admitted that, yeah, he was alive before I set him on fire. Um, But I did. I just set him on fire and just killed him that way. So Holmes actually was able to collect the insurance payout using Petzl's dead body as proof that... He no longer existed, and then he claimed the policy. Um, it was also said that he manipulated Petzl's wife. Um, I, I didn't go into the details because this shit starts to get super sketchy, but apparently he convinced the wife into allowing three out of her five children to be placed into his custody. What the fuck? Um, he, he kept lying to the wife as well, telling her, look, your husband's alive. He's in London. He's just, you know, moved on. He's got business on at the moment. He just doesn't really have the time to talk. Um, he'll connect with you at a later stage. Obviously bullshit because he killed him because he chloroformed him and then set him alight. So the story goes that he allegedly killed the children, the three out of the five that were in his custody. He forced them into a large trunk. Locked them inside, drilled a hole in the lid, and then put a hose through the hole and attached it to a gas line. So in 1894, Hedgepeth hears of Holmes's cashing in on the Petzl insurance policy. Hedgepeth is pissed. He is pissed. Um, He was part of the original scam and the concoction of the original scam. So he's pissed when he hears how much money Holmes has pocketed. So Hedgepeth goes, you know what? Fuck this shit. I'm calling the police. So he goes to the police. The police eventually track down Holmes again. He's in Boston. um, And then they arrest him. Um, They say it's due to the horse scams and they take him in. So he's in jail. They're doing their investigations. They're trying to work out what the fuck is going on here. The police then make their way to the castle. At the very beginning, when the police entered the castle, um, they were really confused with what they'd found. So they found lots of bones in the castle. Um, Some they identified quite easily were animal, but there were other that were human. Um, In fact, they were so small that they had to be children. They made their way down to the basement, and this is where (laughs) the horror... Um, is stated to be. So inside the basement, there was a blood soaked operating table with women's clothing close by, um, an array of medical t- tools, some bizarre torture devices, and all of these acids on a shelf. So after decades, <laughs> decades of criminal activities, Holmes was finally locked up behind bars, now on suspicion of absolutely everything we've talked about. It wasn't till they really started investigating that they could actually see the reign of horror that this guy had done. So it's unsure how many people met their deaths by Holmes, but it's said to be anywhere from 27 to 200 people. He admitted to 27. 27. This is why he's known as America's first serial killer. This guy's fucking crazy. And I must admit, there's parts of this story as I'm, you know, kind of investigating and deep diving into it. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, some of this stuff doesn't sound right. Some of it kind of doesn't match up. There there seems to be some holes here and there. So I think um, I'm able to explain some of the holes in the story, but we'll get there. We're not there Josh yet. Um, Okay, so 27 people, potentially 200. Amazing. Um, even the number of people we've talked about in this story and these little tiny tidbits of stories. I mean, there'd be like, what, 20 that we've spoken about? Um, so he's behind bars. Now they're collating evidence. They've got access to these weird areas in the castle. They're finding bones. They're finding blood. They're finding these weird ass doors and rooms that are hidden uh, from the general public that, you know, are leading to brick walls and... Staircases that are leading nowhere. Okay, so fantastic. They're now pulling all of this evidence together. So in October 1895, Holmes was actually put on trial for the murder of Benjamin Petzel. He was found guilty and sentenced to death. So at this stage, it also became clear that he'd murdered three out of the five children. Um, and this is at the point in the story where he says, "Well, you know what." There's those murders, but there's another twenty seven. <laughs> let me give you those details. Oh, and there's six attempted murders as well. so let me let me provide you those details too. Ah, uh, fantastic. So at his trial, apparently he presented with grace and remarkable familiarity with the law. Holmes, however, his charm wasn't enough for the jurors. So before Holmes' death, he truly believed that he was turning into the devil. Um, and he he believed that this was evidenced by his face structure that was changing and it was becoming a more demonic structure. He apparently showed no remorse or sympathy when uh, Benjamin Pietzel's wife testified against him. Um, He had no sympathy for killing three out of the five children either and apparently before his death um, he claimed, I was born with the devil in me and I could not help the fact I was a murderer. No more than a poet can help the inspiration to sing. What the fuck does that even mean? You're fucking nut job. So anyway, <laughs> all the evidence is there. we got 27, 6, an additional 4. What the fuck? Um, so on May the 7th, 1896, he was hung at the Philadelphia County Prison. Apparently he was very calm. He showed very few signs of fear, anxiety or depression. Didn't really faze him. The only thing that Holmes did ask for was that his coffin be contained in cement and buried 10 feet deep into the ground because he was worried that grave robbers would steal his body for dissection. I mean, (laughs) bro. (laughs) Bro. You were robbing graves to sell corpses for fucking life insurance, or to sell them to medical schools, you fucking idiot. So his final words. Uh, he apparently, by, by this point, he was apparently off his rocker. He ended up selling his confession to a newspaper. I think the the day after it was uh, published, they were like, "This is a load of shit," and they released a, um, like an an update saying, you know, everything that was. De- declared to us seems to be a load of shit. Um, anyway, but his final words were I only wish to say that the extent of my wrongdoing in the taking of human life consists in contriving the killing of two women that have died at my hands as a result of criminal operations. The fuck? I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what the fuck that sentence means. Um, anyway, he was hung. <laughs> His neck didn't break, so that's wonderful. Um, in the end, he was strangled to death by the rope, which took over 20 minutes. Um, and then he was buried. Uh, they cemented in his um, coffin, dug it deep, um, chucked it in, and left him in an unmarked grave in Pennsylvania. So our mate Hedgepeth, <laughs> who cracked the shits and tipped off the popo, um, he was laid shot by a police officer in some sort of standoff situation Uh, So the warden at the prison where Holmes was held killed himself. Uh, The office of the district attorney, who actually argued the case, randomly caught on fire. Um, And on the 7th of March 1914, the former caretaker of the castle, uh, Patrick Quinlan, committed suicide by taking pesticides. So he, he was really, I think, identified as the last hope um, for really understanding what occurred in the House of Horrors, aka the Castle, Patrick left a suicide note that said, "I couldn't sleep. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I couldn't sleep, so I'm taking a permanent sleep now." Um, and uh, apparently, Patrick's surviving relatives claim that um, in the months following um, Holmes' death, he'd he'd been haunted. By hallucinations, so I don't know what the fuck's gone on there, but there's a whole lot of sketchy shit happening after his death. So in August 1895, uh, the castle was set on fire. It was apparently deliberate. Uh, two guys ran. Uh, two guys walked in, apparently set it on fire, and then were caught running out. I don't think it did a lot of damage. Kind of just a minor fire in. 1938, they actually decided to tear the castle down, um, and it's now occupied by the Inglewood branch of the United States Postal Service. Um, okay, so firstly, why did it take that long to tear that place down? Because we're looking at Holmes died in 1896. Why did it take until 1938 for that place to be torn down? I'd be interested to know what kind of business it was keeping, um, and whether there were people kind of coming and going still. I believe that, uh, a lot of the hotel was normally functioning. So to the untrained eye, it was just a normal hotel, but it wasn't until, um, you knew the back behind the scenes that you would find these like trapdoors and random shit like that. So it, it, presented as a normal location so I'd be interested to know was it still in business or was it shut down and I'd be interested to know when they tore it apart what did they find and there's lots of photos online if you just google H.H. Holmes House of Horrors or the castle um, there's drawings of what the actual place looked like from the inside there's some cartoon drawings which are really fascinating and kind of morbid so there's a post office On the site. If a fraction of these deaths are real, surely that's got to be one creepy ass place to work. Surely. I'd be interested to know whether any of the workers have experienced any supernatural or paranormal happenings. So in 2017, Um, allegations arose that Holmes had somehow escaped execution and that in fact he wasn't hung. Um, So his body was exhumed for testing. The request actually came from Holmes's own family who wanted to ensure that the family stories of him escaping weren't true. So for many years the family was talking about the fact that Um, Look, it's a high likelihood due to his charm and his, you know, ability to to kind of sell ice to Eskimos that he probably wasn't executed. So they actually requested the body be exhumed because the coffin was contained in cement. His body was found to not have decomposed normally. His clothes were almost perfectly preserved and his seedy handlebar mustache what was actually found intact if you google this bloke he's a weird looking guy he wears this like cowboy hat thing and he's got this massive like handlebar (laughs) mustache that takes up like a third of his face um but so they exhumed the body they identified it was Holmes by the teeth they confirmed it was him um he didn't escape he was dead at that point um and they they reburied him Okay, so <laughs> the, there are so many controversies with this story and I think because a lot of it's piecemeal and broken um, and you are kind of getting bits and pieces from different places. So um, the 27 people, apparently they all couldn't be verified and some of the people that he claimed to have killed were actually found alive. So there's question as to... Was it 27? Some people say that the description of the castle with all of its, you know, crazy trapdoors and peepholes and all the rest of it um, was in fact embellished by the media and it wasn't that bad at all. Um, Some say that the police and the authorities' view when they were searching the castle was highly exaggerated um, and it really wasn't too far from a normal location. There were a couple of weird things, but Uh, nothing to the extent that the media reports, you know, and and there's a lot of controversy around, you know, all these people that have disappeared. Did he really have a hand in all of those killings? I don't know, (laughs) but it interests me on a lot of levels because even if a fraction of this is true, this is truly what nightmares are made from. This is, um, this is the worst of the worst, right? I think also notably, (laughs) notably, um, the part of this story was actually used as inspiration for the fifth season of American Horror Story. So it was kind of a combination of the H.H. H. Holmes Castle and the infamous Cecil Hotel. So um, random fact, but I mean, it's an interesting story. Um, it definitely has me interested on many levels. Uh, I mean, you can read so much online, but I guess the stories... Um, could very well just be stories and we could just be dealing with a dude who maybe killed a few people then maybe exaggerated it as a lot of serial killers tend to I don't know what do you think Um, I'd be really interested to know what that place looked like before it was torn down I really would whether there was truth behind any of this with every podcast. We go to something lighter to finish with because H.H. Holmes's house of horrors is not something that I want to be ending with nor thinking about when I put my head on the pillow this evening. That was a horrific, horrific story. Um, let's talk about some things that never age or maybe some people that never age uh, regardless of time. Okay, so things that never get old. My first is... Chicken nuggets with sweet and sour sauce. Sober, drunk, or hungover, there is nothing better than a good old pack of chicken nugs from Um, I think also there are some celebrities that just don't seem to age, and you can look at pictures of them in the past and now, and you would question if I didn't know who that celebrity was and the time differences, you'd look at those photos and go, oh yeah, they were taken around the same time. So I'm thinking of people like Rihanna, uh, Paul Rudd, Jared Leto, massively. I think that's a good thing. I've, I often get carded for um, when I go to the bottle because I've been told that I do look like I am, you know, in my early 20s at best. So I suppose the good thing is with all of us babyface people, When we're like 80, we're going to look, what, 50? (laughs) It's amazing. Something else that never gets old, um, a cold glass of wine on a Friday night. So my favourite thing to do is to pop a bottle of bubbles, to drink on a Friday, uh, knowing that the entire weekend stands between me and my freedom. Um, another thing that never gets old for me, are oversized hoodies. I love them. I can wear them in the middle of summer. Don't care. They never get old. Something else that never gets old is having a snooze on the couch. There's something about putting something on television and then getting comfortable under a blanket that just hits different. (laughs) having like a 15-20 minute snooze and then waking up and just being like oh my god that was so refreshing I don't know what it is there's something about sleeping on the lounge coffee (laughs) never gets old drinking one right now anytime, all the time, any place Well that's a wrap. So I hope you enjoyed spending time with me today as we dove into some of the totally uh, fucked up story on HH Holmes. The story really is uh, very interesting but so messed up at the same time. Join me next week where I'm going to kick off a new series called Shooting the Shit. (laughs) And I said that like a true Australian does. Shooting the shit. So these episodes will be smaller topics that are on my mind but maybe aren't quite big enough to have their own episode, but topics nonetheless that I find important. So what I'm going to do is combine those smaller topics into the series called "Shooting the Shit. We will start off the series by talking about the topics of always being busy, uh, the idea of overachieving, and why I believe kind costs nothing. In the meantime, let's hang out on social media. Hit me up at aesthetic vibes Pod. Or drop me an email at at aestheticsvibepodcastatoutlook.com. Until next time, bye! Bye!